Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Is the U.S. Food and Drug Administration so massive and stultified that it is incapable of embracing new ideas and technologies like nicotine vaping products? It could explain why the FDA and its Center for Tobacco Products are failing so miserably when it comes to approving nicotine vapes for the U.S. market. Or is this all a convenient excuse, hiding a simple fact? If the FDA chose to reverse course and embrace nicotine vaping products, it could do so overnight. Joining us today to talk through the options FDA should be considering when it comes to approving flavored nicotine vaping products for adult tobacco harm reduction is Tony Abood, Executive Director of the Vapor Technology Association. Tony, it's good to see you again and thanks for coming back on the show. Well, as always, Brent, I appreciate the time uh, we get to spend uh, talking about these important issues. Tony, I'd like to start with teen vaping. We've been told for years that it was an epidemic and posed a clear and present danger to youth. Yet, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention just released the 2023 National Youth Tobacco Survey, which shows youth vaping in the United States has dropped another four percentage points from 2022 and now sits at 10%. Allow me to remind our viewers that the reported rate of youth vaping, which sparked the moral panic over vaping, was 27.5% just four years ago. Tony, what do you make of all this? The Vapor Technology Association, we've always put the issue of youth vaping first, um, which is why we've always focused on common sense regulatory solutions to truly address the issue of youth vaping. Um, and we have always encouraged the industry to engage in the best marketing practices associated with the product. Uh, but what is interesting to us is that um, the narrative has been so singularly focused on youth in the words of the 15 past presidents of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco. And, and within that singular focus, they've exclusively focused on one issue, which is flavors. And what's most interesting about the current numbers is that it demonstrates that the youth vaping rate, since it peaked in 2019, has dropped an incredible 61%. Now, given that fact, I think we, we, we all have to recognize that this question about youth vaping um, is not necessarily being addressed by current regulatory policies, that there are other factors at play. And I think it is extremely important now, which is why we have suggested that the agency, the FDA, specifically the Center for Tobacco Products, needs to use this time to refocus its energies on tobacco harm reduction and the role that vaping products can play in terms of tobacco harm reduction for adult smokers who are desperately trying to quit. And let's just uh, be clear about this. This is a 10-year low and in fact, it goes all the way back to when really vaping first hit the market in the U.S. back in 2012, 2013. So we literally are experiencing a massive decrease. Well, what's really interesting, and, and you're correct, we're, we are sitting at a, at a 10-year low. And if you think of that in this context, this is was even before vaping products were even regulated. This is the same youth vaping rate that, that uh, existed. Um, this is before uh, we've had a significant increase in flavored vaping products in the marketplace. This is before Juul. 
This is before disposables. This is before the, the partial um, flavor bans and the efforts by the agency to remove products from the market. So the most significant fact here is that this continuing narrative of, and, and, and I have to say it was surprised um, that the agency and the CDC in their report focus so much on flavors because the reality is the real world evidence says that even as flavored vaping products are increasing in the United States, youth vaping is going down, which is an empirical is empirical data that fundamentally undercuts the 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 notion that they've gripped onto for years, which is that flavors drive youth vaping. Those two, th that statement cannot exist under the current data, the same way that they cannot claim any longer that vaping leads to smoking, because as smoking rates continue to plummet and vaping rates go up, there is no gateway. We are talking about the same thing now with flavors. Let me ask you this, Tony. Has FDA CTP provided any scientific understanding about why this youth rate continues to drop? Um, well, I think that they, in their press releases, are trying to take credit for the youth vaping rate dropping, but it is still uncontrovertible that they haven't really begun to address the issues of why youth say they vape. And they know this answer because the CDC publishes uh, that data. Unfortunately, it comes usually months after this type of press release uh, and announcement of the, the overall numbers. But if you look at the data that CDC has published from the National Youth Tobacco Survey over the years, flavors, which at one point many years ago were a top reason for why youth themselves say they are vaping, has crashed uh, along with youth vaping rate um, to one of the least significant reasons why they claim that they're vaping. I believe last year in the 22 NYTS data, it was about 6.4% of youth say they vape because of flavors. And they have at least six or seven other reasons why they say that they vape. And I haven't heard anything in the narrative in terms of the public health interest group narrative or the FDA CTP's narrative that is in, focused on addressing any of those issues. So, um, but unfortunately, again, with this latest release, while the agency did express that it was a good thing that youth vaping rate was dropping, the CDC and the NCTP spent most of their resources in these latest publications talking about, once again, flavors uh, and other devices and throwing up new statistics. And what's most concerning is they continue to perpetuate this youth epidemic notion, even though they've said it's not an epidemic any longer, and even though the, the, the data itself just proves that point, but they, they do so by making statements that suggest, for example, that the rate may be even higher. Um, I was stunned by that particular statement in the, in the CTP's release, 
because I don't think that does anything to advance the conversation. It just says, hey, yes, the youth vaping rate is going down. We acknowledge that, but it might be worse than we actually think or that we, I believe they said, it might be worse than we previously thought. And I, I just, that statement doesn't make any sense because they don't cite any statistics to back it up from their data. And also the CDC themselves in their actual study report never made any mention of that. So that was, in our view, a creation of CTP in, in its press release that just doesn't seem supported by the data itself. It almost seems that these agencies are anti-science. We have struggled uh, for years as an industry in trying to understand what the agency wants from a scientific perspective. You know, because we've talked about it on this show, what took place in 2021 when the agency was reviewing all of the PMTAs that had been submitted by companies throughout the industry, and they changed their scientific protocols for how they were evaluating the applications in addition to what they would require uh, in terms of science. And, and again, as we've talked about before, that question is being litigated around the United States right now, um, but they've never really been able to answer the question of why they changed their scientific uh, evaluation protocols, they changed their priorities, and they changed their requirements after the fact. This is a problem in large part because this has been the only focus that the agency has had, both from a regulatory perspective in terms of the way that they manage the PMTA process to exclude all flavored vaping products, as well as uh, from their enforcement perspective right now, they're engaged in a campaign to basically rid the market of any and all flavored vapes. So given what we have learned recently about the importance of flavored vaping products from a scientific perspective to helping adults quit smoking, this is why we've said now is the time. This is the time for the agency to reverse course and adopt a tobacco harm reduction mentality uh, and a messaging uh, plan that will in fact speak to um, tobacco harm reduction issues, vaping is a critical tool for that, uh, and also the importance of flavored vaping products in that discussion. In the press release for the 2023 youth data, FDA Center for Tobacco Products, the CDP director, Dr. Brian King, says the agency, quote, cannot and will not let our guard down on this issue and will not stand by as bad actors place profit over the health of our nation's youth. That statement comes from a position where the FDA has essentially declared the entire vaping products market as illegal. Let's not forget, when they changed the process by which they were evaluating PMTAs, when they told the Office of Science back in 2021, that they would no longer be reviewing flavored vaping products in the, in the, with the scientific approach that they had established for themselves. When they ended up then denying all of the applications and then subsequently stating that basic, that every product that was not yet authorized is illegal. The agency itself created, created for itself um, an unenforceable nightmare. 
which is effectively enforcing its de facto ban. When, when the agency says we not rest on our laurels, they have been singularly focused on this one issue that has very little, according to the National Youth Tobacco Survey, to do with flavors. And they really haven't been focused, in our estimation, on, on the critical issues in terms of marketing and access uh, restrictions. And one of the other things that are is very interesting to note is that most of the actions that they've taken recently have been directed not against a broad category of products, but really against one product. If you look at all of the warning letters that have been sent out uh, in the last couple months, they have effectively been focused on one single brand. So the agency is particularly good at, at, at taking steps and making what appear to be dramatic actions to demonstrate that it is doing something. But one of the things I spoke about last week at the Food and Drug Law Institute conference was we have to be very careful in terms of assessing what, what is being achieved here. Because in the, at the end of the day, merely removing vaping products from the hands of consumers in this day and age is not necessarily going to get us to the end that we need in terms of tobacco harm reduction or smoking cessation. And it certainly draws into question whether the agency is solely focused and singularly focused on its mission, which is to end tobacco product death and disease in the United States. Yeah, it seems to me that they're talking, well, not at all, about smoking. It's all about vaping. I'm not sure that's entirely true. And the only reason I would say this is because they have, again, focused on the uh, regulatory initiatives that they have announced to eliminate menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. But I think what the agency knows deep down is that this is an issue which is going to be litigated for a very long time, assuming, of course, that the administration agrees with their recommendation and then implements those bans, which is still an open question and hasn't yet been decided. But even if that, even if that were to happen, we are not talking about any sort of regulatory action in a marketplace for a number of years. And our fundamental question and our fundamental challenge to the agency has been, what will you do now to make sure that adults have access to these products? Because while it has been engaging in all of these activities, they have not authorized vaping products for the marketplace, particularly the, not authorized any of the kinds of products that the majority of Americans are using. Tony, I guess one way to take a look at how the FDA is doing is to look at how many combustible cigarettes and other combustible tobacco products they've approved, say over the last five years, compared to how many vaping products they've approved. What's the answer to that? Um, it's, a, it's somewhat of a frightening answer, to be honest with you. The FDA has been regulating vaping products since 2016. <clears throat> Since 2019, the agency has authorized over 1,200 new combustible tobacco products. So the regulatory pathways to which the agency adheres and is committed to, um, supposedly committed to enforcing, uh, they are using the regulatory authority to authorize almost 900 new cigarettes. In other words, 900 new brands of cigarettes they have 
fast track to market. There is no scientific review. There's no assessment as to whether these products are appropriate for the protection of public health because they know and everyone knows they are not. Um, and yet the agency has only found it able to authorize, they say 23 electronic cigarettes, rejecting millions upon millions upon millions of products um, that were in the market and or that consumers were using. Uh, I looked at these numbers and it's just staggering when you think about it. I mean, it's eight, 10 millionths of a percent um, is the number of vaping products that they have authorized compared to the applications that they have received. This is not a modicum of success. It's not, doesn't indicate a modicum of progress, particularly when we know that those 23 e-cigarettes that they say they have approved is really only a much smaller number of devices, like eight devices uh, that are unique devices. Um, and a couple of which we know are, are not even being sold. So the question is, what is the agency really giving to American consumers and smokers who are relying on these products, needing these products, using these products? They're not giving them a marketplace of regulated products for them to go and purchase. So when you think about that, and then you think about their very dramatic and bold statements of how they're not going to rest on their laurels and they're going to try to rid the market of all of these, all of the vaping pro flavored vaping products that are out there. It begs the question as to what's left besides the 900 new forms of cigarettes on top of the hundreds of thousands of other cigarettes that were already on the market um, before that. So there's a world here that they are driving towards. It doesn't appear to be a smokeless world. Um, it appears to be a smoke more world. It's shocking to see zero open system devices approved, zero open system e-liquids approved, zero flavored products, including menthol, zero nicotine pouches. Are they expecting that we're on glue, that we're sniffing glue to, to understand that FDA is actually really conducting a legitimate process here? Because I think at this point now, considering these numbers on youth use, it really defies uh, any expectation that they are actually doing something that's worthwhile. Well, we know that the entire approach to um, e-cigarettes changed. And and Commissioner, former Commissioner Gottlieb has, has said as much uh, because of the epidemic that occurred in 2019, where we had that dramatic spike in 18 and 19 in the youth vaping rate. Um, and since then, though, you know, the, the narrative has been exclusively or singularly focused on youth, and they don't seem to be able to let go of it. In other words, even with these continuing dramatic drops in youth vaping, there does not seem to uh, there does not seem to be any interest in pivoting and saying okay youth vaping is now at a level that existed before we ever got involved in the regulatory process whatsoever so perhaps it's time for us to while we keep an eye on youth vaping and we can certainly do other things to address it to really look at the role that less harmful nicotine products can play in the marketplace. 
But as I pointed out at the Food and Drug Law Institute uh, last week, the current leadership just continues to say no. They said no uh, while the Reagan-Udall Foundation was actually reviewing their entire process. They issued more denials. Um, after the Reagan-Udall Foundation issued its report last December um, and raising serious questions about the process that the agency was using to review um, uh, pre-market tobacco applications. When the Reagan-Udall Foundation told the FDA that your standards for what is appropriate for the protection of public health are not clear, both in what you supposedly require companies to provide you by way of science and by way of the fact that you have not articulated how you are balancing what the Reagan-Udall Foundation said were the potential future harms to youth as compared to the actual risks and harms to adults who are smoking cigarettes. Even with those criticisms laid bare, the agency turned around and started denying more e-cigarette applications uh, without addressing them, without mentioning them, and they used the same faulty rationale um, for making those denials. And that rationale came down to one thing. All flavors attract youth. Therefore, not necessarily your flavors, not necessarily that company's application, not necessarily that company's product, but just because all flavors attract youth, we are going to require your company to meet this higher standard that did not exist in the regulations in 2020 or in 2021 when these applications were first filed and then and were being reviewed. And again, that singular focus is the one thing that they cannot seem to get away from. Perhaps they can't get away from it because they know that they are in litigation and were they to make a different decision and authorize a product that is flavored um, or at this juncture authorize any new product, they would be concerned about the blowback from the NGOs. They might be concerned about how this would impact them in court. And in fact, on that last point, CTP Director King actually made note of that during his presentation at Fidley. He, he, he basically said, we got to be really careful with our decisions because we've had a pretty good record in court so far. Now about that, FDA's kind of power that they've been delegated to from Congress, sure, they you know regulate this product. They can deem a product to be a tobacco product. But it does come down to that the FDA has been granted the power to decide what is appropriate for the protection of public health. And that appropriate for protection of public health, they've said, and they've been deliberating based on this definition, is that if it's flavors, it's bad for kids, thus we're not going to approve the product. Simple as that. That's it. So is there any way in court that we could chip away at, at, at this part? process by showing FDA and CDC data in court to say the problem that they're trying to solve doesn't exist? Well, I think these, this data can be used in various court proceedings. Um, I don't think this data is ultimately going to um, change the ultimate legal analysis 
uh, because each one of these court cases is being evaluated on a case-by-case basis, right? The agency has not yet been called to task in a court of law for the broader um, uh, change in decision-making process. The, the, the fact that the agency once had a, uh, an, a proposed rule on flavors and all stakeholders participated in that regulatory process, but then they abandoned that regulatory process, at least as it relates to e-cigarettes, um, and ultimately made their decisions um, in terms of rejecting all of the applications. So I think what it really does is it reframes the discussion, or at least should help force the agency to reframe the discussion, because they could, under their current authority, with proper articulation of science, scientific requirements or of a scientific standard, um, they could actually authorize vaping products. The, the science has become resounding on this point, right? The, it, it is virtually impossible to ignore. Um, but the agency thus far has been kind of locked in its, uh, we are going to use these regulations in the manner that we see fit to achieve what they believe is their public health goal, but really is, 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 is turning out to be a disservice to their public health goal. Tony, you've mentioned it, and that was that you just made this presentation to the Food and Drug Law Institute's Tobacco and Nicotine Policy Conference in Washington, D.C. The presentation was titled, FDA Center for Tobacco Products Must Reverse Course to Quickly Reduce Smoking Harms. Did you tackle this issue of youth vaping in this presentation? And what exactly are you calling on FDA to do? Well, we're, we're calling on them to do a number of things. But, and yes, we did address the issue of youth vaping. What I, what I did is I put a, put a slide on the screen which showed kind of the, at that point, um, the 2023 NYTS numbers had not come out. Um, so I was, I was focused on uh, obviously last year's data um, to make the point that we are now at 2014 levels. Um, and what we now know to be true is that youth vaping has plummeted so dramatically that this is the opportunity for the agency to reset its narrative. Remember, we were just talking about the fact that the Reagan Udall Foundation called on the agency to develop a strategic plan and in that strategic plan to articulate this question of, of how it is addressed, answer the question of how is addressing the appropriate for the protection of public health standard. So we said a few things. The first is that they have to acknowledge this dramatically reduced youth rate, that they have to basically eliminate this youth presumption, I call it a youth presumption hurdle and the fatal flaw approach that they had used to rid the market of uh, all flavored vaping applications without having to actually review the science that was submitted in those applications. And they have to develop an objective balancing test, which really gets to the core of their core mission here. I mean, the determination of what's appropriate for the protection of public health is at the core of the Tobacco Control Act. And at this juncture, they have made very few decisions based on APPH uh, in, in terms of any, with respect to any objective balancing approach. 
the agency must make harm reduction the foundation of its strategic plan. It must speak immediately, loudly, and clearly um, to the American public and state that tobacco harm reduction is its North Star, that vaping is dramatically safer than smoking, that vaping and modern oral nicotine products are critical tools for both tobacco harm reduction and smoking cessation. They must encourage smokers to use, if not even try, an e-cigarette if they can't quit some other way. And to do that, they also have to authorize a wide variety of smoke-free products, including flavored vaping products, which have been proven to help adults transition away from cigarettes. The real concern here, Brent, is that if that isn't the foundation of their plan, then I think much of what we are talking about in this whole regulatory process is, is going to be futile. And the reason for that is that the sheer cacophony of misinformation about which even the FDA laments as it relates to vaping products is going to overwhelm whatever strategic plan they put in place. Because the strategic plan, which will take years to implement, will mean nothing if consumers don't believe that vaping products and modern oral nicotine products are in fact safer. And right now the agency, the Center for Tobacco Products, the FDA leadership are the only ones that can truly correct that cacophony of misinformation, but they must do so immediately, they must do so loudly, and they must do so repeatedly in order to overcome the presumption against vaping products and less harmful alternative nicotine products that they have allowed to grow and in some cases they have encouraged. Tony, also in your presentation, you had a very interesting slide. It was a quote from the Center for Black Equity that states, broad access to e-cigarettes and vaping products is critical to advancing harm reduction and health equity among Black and LGBTQ plus communities. That's a pretty strong statement. It is a strong statement. And um, it was, I think, extremely important um, uh, that they made the statement because the statement wasn't just a statement. It was, they had published um, a study that was done by uh, an economist, uh, Dr. Richard J. Shapiro, who is a former Biden, Obama, and Clinton uh, advisor. And, uh, and he conducted a very significant study evaluating all of the science on vaping and made some, some dramatic uh, determinations in terms of the role that vaping products have played in reducing smoking over the last um, uh, 12 years or so, 13 years or so, he determined based on and taking into account all of the other tobacco control policies that the agency and other groups like to point to as the reason for smoking reduction in the United States over the last decade and determined that, 100, that vaping alone, when taking into account other policies, vaping alone uh, is responsible for saving over 130,000 American lives between 10, 20, 2010 and 2022. And he projected that 330,000 lives would be saved by vaping 
uh, between now and 2030. Now, again, what he pointed out was that black populations, low-income populations, and, and LGBTQ populations smoke at a disproportionately higher rate. Um, they smoke cigarettes than their counterparts. And the need for vaping as an option for these communities who are disproportionately affected by cigarettes, they suffer and die at, at, at higher rates, uh, is extremely important. And the Center for Black Equity came out and said, the basic core principle of harm reduction is embodied in e-cigarettes. Um, and, and so when you think about the fact that CTP in particular has made health equity one of its priorities, Director King said, yes, we are gonna respond to the strategic plan and we're gonna add health equity to our mix. When you think about the fact that 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 Director King appointed the first director of health equity for the Center for Tobacco Products and has made this a core issue uh, that 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 the center needs to address, and the Biden administration has promoted health equity as one of, a key, of the key issues it needs to address. Well, that's all well and good but they can no longer, particularly in light of this report and the call from the Center for Black Equity, continue to ignore the role that vaping products and flavored e-cigarettes will play in helping these marginalized communities address their addiction to cigarettes. And perhaps, just perhaps, this might give the agency some additional reason to rethink its position and reverse course and make sure that the marketplace is filled with products, that people don't have to worry about buying illicit products, that people don't have to worry about going to the black market, which will just uh, balloon if the agency does what it says it's going to do and rip vaping products out of the market altogether. Tony, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but how do you stay hopeful? Hmm. Um, well, as you may know, um, and if you could see the sign behind me, um, it says uh, Winston Churchill's quote, right? Never, never, never give up. Um, look, I'm optimistic because the science continues to grow. And the science is now robust enough that entire governments, for example, in the United Kingdom, have adopted commercial tobacco products, not medicinal products, but commercial tobacco products, vaping products in particular, as a tool for driving down their smoking rates. Um, there comes a time when the evidence becomes so large and so robust that even the most ardent deniers cannot uh, overcome any longer. I think we are reaching that point right now. We are at a breaking point now where the agency is going to have to reconcile its abject refusal to authorize a wide variety of vaping products for adult smokers 
um, while it has authorized 900 new cigarettes and, and rushed them to market. The agency is going to have to explain this to the powers that be that oversee them. The agency is going to have to reconcile their position with the public um, because consumers are not stupid. They can be misinformed and consumers have been horrifyingly misinformed as it relates to vaping. But if the agency is going to make good on its mission to end tobacco-related disease and death, that means it has to go after cigarettes. And it can no longer sit back and say, oh, we want to ban menthol cigarettes at some point in the future. But in the ensuing years, we're going to continue on as we have and not authorize a marketplace full of alternative vaping products. The agency can no longer stand by and say that this is a tenable solution, that we have to first remove all the flavored vaping products from the market because we have declared them to be illegal without reviewing applications in or reviewing the science that was submitted in those applications. Um, and we are going to basically stand pat on status quo. Status quo is ubiquitous availability of cigarettes in the marketplace. Every corner, every shop sells cigarettes. And what's amazing is when you walk into these stores now, you find fewer and fewer and fewer vaping options. Uh, that is no longer going to be a tenable marketplace for the agency to enforce. Uh, and they're gonna to have to reconcile their, the science that has developed which is calling out the fact that they are not acting consistent with the science with their current regulatory posture. In other words, something's gotta give. And I don't think that the current status quo as it relates to the positions taken by the agency nor the marketplace that they have created. And by that, I mean a marketplace where they have ensured the ubiquitous availability of cigarettes and denied the availability of electronic cigarettes and have announced only significant actions to remove e-cigarettes from the market, that is no longer a credible position for the agency to be in. Um, and I, so in that regard, I am somewhat hopeful. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna get there in the next couple months. I don't know if it's gonna be a year. What we don't need is more regulatory hand-wringing. We need bold leadership. And that bold leadership could take us to a place where we have a robust market filled with products that are less harmful than cigarettes. Um, but it will take just that. It will take bold leadership. I think some of the concern is that can the U.S. vaping industry, manufacturers, distributors, and retailers hold on, or is FDA going to outlast them with their fee drag? I don't think that the agency concerns itself with that. They should, but I don't think they do. Um, and, and that is a concern, particularly because we know that the vaping industry in the United States started from the ground up, started with vape shops and a, an entire distribution chain grew up 
to feed uh, the need for uh, less harmful vaping products in the marketplace. It grew because people realized that this product actually worked for them. And what's most remarkable is that when you consider the fact that the largest clinical trial, which was just completed by the Medical University of South Carolina, uh, was recently published. And in that study, they said not only do vaping products, are, are they more effective at helping people quit smoking, they said that the unguided use of those products created accidental quitters. So the FDA has, a, has an easy win here. They have a marketplace that is filled with a variety of vaping products, right? They have vaping products, which if made available to consumers will actually help them to quit or at least cause them to quit, even if those individuals had no intention of quitting. Now, that science tells me that the agency needs to really think hard about its decisions to have a marketplace with no vaping products in it. Because if that's the case, then they've made clear what they really want, which is cigarettes, because they know they cannot get rid of cigarettes anytime soon. And they are ultimately uh, looking a gift horse in the face. Given the findings of the Medical University of South Carolina, it is incredibly important for regulators to understand that you have a product that can attack one of the biggest public health scourges that this country has year in and year out. It is available, it is accessible for now, until the unless the agency makes sure it's not accessible. Uh, and it can help people quit smoking even when they don't want to. The fact that CTP Director King said it again last week at, at, at Fidley, that the first line of, of, of offense or the first line approach is to focus on the medicinal products, the nicotine patch and the nicotine gum, tells me that they are locked in the past. They're not in the present, they're locked in the past. Because when the science tells you that vaping products are much more effective than the products that the FDA has approved. And when the science tells you that the mere availability of those products to, uh, to, uh, for smokers helps them quit, even if they don't intend to quit, that there is an, a huge opportunity here if they would just acknowledge it and take it and promote it.